Sooner fans, Longhorn Nation, welcome to episode 96 of the Boomer Bevo podcast. The only podcast exclusively dedicated to covering the greatest rivalry in college football, the University of Texas, and the University of Oklahoma. I'm here with my man, Kevin Miller. I am John Whitson. Kevin, this is the signing day, early signing day recap for 2023, the class of 2024. Oklahoma and Texas had stellar classes, both in the top 10. We are going to discuss all of this, where they rank, where they rank in the SEC, who the big players are. But last night, in related yet unrelated to college football news, the University of Oklahoma was one of four unbeaten teams in the NCAA Power 5 basketball realm until they ran into the North Carolina Tar Heels in Charlotte, North Carolina. They did not have to play in the Dean Dome, and they went down 81-69. Did you watch this game, Kevin? I watched a large portion of it. I watched the game, and every freaking time in the second half that OU made any kind of run, OU did not go away. They did not wither and die. They just kept pushing. At one point, with about three minutes left, they were within five. With two minutes left, they were within six. They just kept coming back, making it a game. But North Carolina was doing North Carolina things, and it seemed like in any time OU tried to make it a game, a three-pointer was going in, a shot at the end of the shot clock buzzer. It was just one thing after the after another that happens to teams like North Carolina and doesn't happen to teams like Oklahoma. Did you see the same thing I saw? I did. I did. You know, and I thought you guys are a lot better than what you showed out there, right? Oh, um, oh. well, I, listen, I don't mean to cut you off, but let me tell you how much better we were, okay? That's a, that is an astute observation. Now let me give you the facts that back up we're better than what we were. Let me start with this. 30% from the three-point line. Not terrible, but I don't know that we made one in the first half. I think we, if we did, we went like one for, for 12 in the first half. It's terrible. 66.7% from the free throw line. Here's the problem, Kevin. I've said this on this podcast, and if I haven't said it, I haven't said it enough. Free throws and layups is what determines basketball games. It's just the facts. At yeah. any level, you can look at the NBA, you can look at college. If it is a well-contested, evenly matched game, the team that makes their free throws will usually win the game. Oklahoma did not make theirs. North Carolina made theirs. And it, and it happened in the second half. Oklahoma was in the bonus early. But when you can't make free throws, you're not going to be yeah, able to chip point? away at that lead and get back in the game. Yeah, you know, and, and I think North Carolina really shows their experience. I mean, Armando Baycott. How long has he oh. been there? Is this fifth year? I know. I mean, he's been there forever. It's listen. They're a good you team. You really see that with basketball. And then RJ Davis. I mean, seriously, I'm curious to know when these guys graduated high school because they have been around for a very long time. No, think, they have. You know, you have guys like that. We're starting to see that really throughout college sports, right? Like a lot of times, these players that have the most experience, those are the ones who are winning. Oh, no, 100. Let me give you some more stats. Let this one sink in. The team assists, not not Oklahoma's assist leader, but the total number of assists for the entire team, six. 
Wow. That's terrible. Yeah, yeah. You you can't yeah. win very many basketball games with only six assists. You got to move the and, ball better than that. And here's the deal. Oklahoma's not – that's not how they've been playing basketball. They've been playing basketball throughout this run with ball movement and and running and spreading the ball and, and a constant kind of motion type of offense. So to see them go up against a team like North Carolina, uh, it was pretty eye-opening, right? And I think it gives Porter Mosier an opportunity to go, okay, take a step back. We're not as good as we thought we were, but there's some things we can correct. A couple more things real quick, and then we'll, I'll let you go. Three steals for Oklahoma versus 10 steals for North Carolina. You got to protect the ball. And that contributed to 18 total turnovers. You can't turn the ball over 18 times against North Carolina. You can't only no. have three steals. You can't only have six team assists. And you can't shoot 66% from the free throw line and expect to beat a team like North Carolina. That's It's just that simple. Agreed. You know, I think you guys will be fine, though, overall. I think you got some pretty good players here. This is my first time really watching you guys play. I've watched a little bit of one of those games I think you had against uh, a West Coast school on Thanksgiving. But, SC? Um, South Carolina? Yeah, uh, yeah, Southern USC, California? USC. Yeah. 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 And I watched a few minutes of that one, but this is the first time I've really been able to watch you guys play. You guys are incredibly athletic, especially compared to last year. I mean, you guys can get above the rim. You guys can run. You can beat guys off the dribble. So I think it'll be a tough out beating Oklahoma in the conference this year. And we've got, you know, we got dudes that we can kind of count on. Otega Owe is averaging uh, right around 15 points a game. He went for 23 last night. So, you know, a good player showing up. Uh, Javion McCollum averaging around around 14, got his average. Didn't get any production from our big guy. Um, I don't know if that's a big guy thing or foul trouble, but Hughley, the fourth, got zero points. So to your point, it, it – that's what's cool about college basketball, and I've always liked this, is that their teams are willing to play good teams. You know, they're not yes. – they, they will they will load the schedule up. And so that's a lot of fun. But to see um, – and then it allows you to see what you work, what you need to work on. And clearly Oklahoma has some things to work on. I do think we're a better team. I think the stats indicated what kind of game we had last night, not what kind of team we are, especially in the long run. Completely agree. Completely agree. Like I said, once once we get in the conference play, look, if you've got a young team or a team that's still getting used to playing together, you got to go into an environment like that. Because let's be real, right? Playing North Carolina and Charlotte might as well be at the Dean Dome. Um, okay, they're a blue blood in basketball. Are they the blue? They're not the bluest blue blood. Is UCLA the bluest blue blood? You know, it's it's interesting. That's a great that's a great question because if you look at it, UCLA probably has the most championships, right? But oh yeah, not even when's the last yeah. time they've been great, right? I mean, I know they did go to the did they go to the Final Four recently within the last couple of years when they had Jaime Jaquez. Did they go at least I know they made it to at least to the to the Elite Eight. Yeah, I don't know if they went right. to the Final Four, but I know um, those teams with Westbrook and Kevin Love. Um, and remember, and Bob Mute and all those guys in yep. the late two thousands, they went to what two straight final fours uh, then. But I don't know, man. You look at Kentucky, what they've been able to do throughout their history, and then under Coach Cal, they've been really consistently good uh, during that time too. So I don't know. It's, it's a hard question to answer who the who the bluest of the blue bloods is. But you've got football too. It's a hard question to answer. Carolina and Duke. Mm-hmm. Kentucky, 
Kansas, UCLA. Do you put anybody from the Big Ten in that category? Does Indiana get in there? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. So the Blue Bloods in this case are all blue-colored schools. I, I mean, I agree with that. I don't know that – I don't think you can put Indiana in. Um, I don't think anybody from the Big East is a blue-blood status. And I'm thinking of teams like Villanova, although they had a good run there. I just don't know they that they're – They had a good run with Jay Wright and then Georgetown with, you know, under John Thompson. But it just they don't have that consistent history. No. I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, listen, dude, I'm excited for basketball, but this isn't a basketball podcast, although we will talk a ton of basketball, especially as we get into the springtime, because it looks like both of our teams are pretty good. We know the Big 12 is good, although the Big 12 took a couple of hits over the last couple of weeks. I know Baylor got beat a couple of times. I saw K-State had gone down. Kansas did come back with a big win. So, it, But still, though, between BYU and Houston and teams that we've added to the already stacked Big 12, our final season in the Big 12 is going to be – it's going to be difficult. And I don't think it's going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination. No, um, I think it's going to, I think it's going to be that to me, that's the only sport I can think of where it's not a definitive step up when we enter the sec. Completely agreed because, and then you remember we got Houston to the mix in the big 12 this year. So BYU's in the top 20, man. Correct. Yeah. So no, the Big Twelve is, is a tough basketball league. It's going to continue to be a good basketball league, even um, when Texas and Oklahoma leave. So yeah, it, it is not a step up going to the SEC at all. At all. Um, all right. Well, hey, let's jump in to the world of recruiting. As we talked about at the top of the show, uh, a heck of a day for Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, depending on which rankings you look at, I've, I've got three here. I don't have on threes in front of me. But 247 has Oklahoma ranked fifth. I mean, I'm sorry, Texas ranked fifth. Oklahoma ranked ninth. Rivals has Texas third. Oklahoma sixth. ESPN, Texas five. OU seven. So really, regardless of rankings, top 10 class for both teams unequivocally. Major needs met. But I think the bigger story speaks to where we are ranked in the SEC because that's what's going to matter. You take a look at the SEC rankings, and again, these are according to 247. I know a lot of people out there don't love 247. I don't even think, Kevin, you like 247. But according I've, to I've been a Rivals guy for a long time, also like on three. I've just never, I don't have a ton of experience using 247. So I feel like it's the one that I went to first, and it just is always like the easiest one for me to pull up. But maybe Same that's maybe I need, Rivals. I started with them, I mean, back in the early 2000s, man. Maybe I need to get it. Maybe I need to get with it. But for the SEC rankings, let's just focus on the SEC, okay? Georgia was the number one class overall in, in the SEC. Bama, number two overall and number two in the SEC. Texas, number five overall, according to the 247, and number three in the SEC. Auburn was eight, four in the SEC. Oklahoma, nine, fifth in the SEC. Most others had OU at fourth. So you could kind of flip between Auburn and Oklahoma. But this, this seems to me, coupled with Oklahoma and Texas's last two years of top 10 classes, kind of reinforces the notion that we should have, we shouldn't fear going to the SEC from a football perspective. Correct. 
yeah, there's nothing to worry about as far as being able to recruit, being able to compete for for players, right? I think we both realize it's going to be a fight, though, for a lot, because we're going to be recruiting the same players in a lot of instances. But it's been the case like that for a while, right? Brent Venables has connections in the Southeast from his time at Clemson. Texas um, has him, Sark, from when he was at Alabama. So the whole country is rooting, is recruiting the same players from the same area in the Southeast region, especially when it comes to those defensive linemen. So there's just going to be a lot of recruiting battles that go head to head. There's going to be some heartbreak on signing day, though, for us in the future going up against these SEC schools and recruiting. Well, I think it's going to it's going to be a lot like the football field, though, right? It's going to be there's going to be some heartbreak for us, but there's going to be some heartbreak for other folks who lose guys to us, to Oklahoma and Texas. Um, Because if Oklahoma, listen, dude. I, I think I think it's really cool the way these two programs have set themselves up. Sark is a villain, and he's starting to embrace it. He's starting to play that villain role. He's a um he's kind of a dick, right? But for a Texas fan, you probably love it. Am I wrong? You know, I don't I don't know if I agree with that. Oh, come on, when you compare, no, I'm serious. Think about who we had before. Well, you had a, okay. There, let me explain. There's the no comparison. Okay, kid. Listen, kids. Earmuffs. All right. Earmuffs. I'm not going to say very bad words, but I'm going to say kind of bad words. Okay. Tom Herman. There's a difference. Tom Herman was a douche. Okay. So he was douchey. Um. Uh, your coach now, Sarkeesian, is a dick, and I mean that almost like in a, like an era of respect, like almost like Jim Rome's a dick, right? Like he comes okay, across as kind of a dick. But at the same time, if he's your guy, you're you're on board with him. Does that make sense? I hear what you're saying. I still don't know if I agree, but I do understand where you're coming okay. from. Okay, I don't mean it. Look, of course, I mean it a little bit derogatorily, but not not as bad not as bad as Tom Herman. That guy was a douche. He was a weird dude. He, he didn't he want to be around him. Like I just don't get so. I'm trying to be like complimentary at the same time, take a little jab, but not really as big as you think. I just think it's really cool the way they've said. So Oklahoma, Venables is like smiling and pat the guy on the back, and give everybody the hugs and love on everybody and and everybody, you know, coach them hard, but love them hard, blah, 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 you know. And it's like you've got these diametrically opposed people in this in this rivalry. Those are two really big, um, but they're both real and genuine in their own way, right? And I yeah. think you're putting them in the SEC – I think those two can recruit. I don't put either one of them in second place in recruiting. The only no. thing that's getting Georgia and Alabama is their prior success over the last 10 years. But if, if Saban or Kirby Smart wants to go head-to-head with Sarkeesian or Benables, I say bring it on. I, I feel very comfortable with Brent Benables being my head recruiter for the next 10 years. Yeah, same with me and Sark, man. I mean, this guy is a beast when it comes to recruiting and you know, I love how patient he is. When we had Mac Brown, Texas recruiting was so dominant, but it also hurt them at the same time because it got to the point where they would offer players and say, hey, you know, we offer, but you need to commit or, you know, the spots are going to fill up. And a lot of times they were taking guys a little bit too soon who ended up not working out when there were other guys who they could have reevaluated and gotten later in the process. And this staff, they seem to take their time uh, when it comes to the process. Well, I agree with you 100% because it, throughout this podcast over the last year, 
you know, Oklahoma was ranked ahead of Texas all the way up until what, November? Yeah, a lot of times, yeah, they this staff really closes strong. They're not necessarily in a huge hurry. They get commits and they get them early, a few of them, but they're willing to play the long game and just to remain patient. And, you know, you get a couple weeks before signing day and next thing you know, you got players galore committing. Okay. Texas. So, let- so, yeah, it's been great. It was a great way to close out the class. Okay. To, co- to continue the SEC, I don't even know where I got off on this rant. To continue this SEC rundown real quick, following the, the six-ranked team, LSU, Tennessee, Florida, A&M, South Carolina, Ole Miss, Missouri, Kentucky. Kentucky is the 13th-ranked program in the SEC and the 25th-ranked program in the country. Listen, recruits, This isn't the Big no. 12 anymore. It isn't the Big 12 anymore, dude. It's just not. Correct. Look, everybody wants to play in the SEC, right? For a team like South Carolina, who was five and seven this year, we can't really say they have, you know, a lot of momentum going right. This, this, they've they've done nothing over the past few years to say, okay, South Carolina's coming. Really, right? I, I, oh, I'm yeah. not thinking that they're on their way to becoming something special. And no, no, they, no. They Spencer, were Spencer, Rat- Spencer Rattler was fine. He was fine. And yes. had some moments, and then had some other moments, and you yeah, know, I don't know like, they beat Clemson, right? They beat Clemson, but last year, but to be number twentieth in the country in recruiting at South Carolina just shows you the allure of kids wanting to play in the SEC, even if that means going to South Carolina. They signed two five stars. South Carolina did. They signed two five star recruits. Well, and you look, look, dude, look at Ole Miss. Ole Miss is. 21st and Lane Kiffin could be as good a recruiter out there, you know, and he's 21st yeah. in the country. Um, I think, um, Oh, who's our boy at Auburn. We pick on him. Uh, Hugh freeze. I hate to see him where he was ranked, dude. I hate to see that. I don't Look, like that. I don't like that one bit, man. We make I, fun I, of him, but we don't make fun of his ability to recruit players. We talked about the guys that he's gotten over the years to go to Ole Miss. And this is not Ole Miss. Now these Ole Miss has had some decent success under Kiffin, right? They, Ten and two, nine and three. It's really good for Ole Miss. Really good for most teams. But when he was there, this is we're talking about five and seven Ole Miss teams, and he's getting Laquan Treadwell and Robert Kemdichi and uh, Laramie Tunsil, Greg Little out of Texas. Incredible players to go there. So this guy is a monster recruiter and. You know, I'm sure he's doing some dirty stuff, but a lot of people are doing that stuff. Well, so no, you still have to be good at what you do in order to get those recruits. No. I don't care how dirty you are. I think he was doing dirty stuff. I think it's all legal now. I think he's got yeah. a. I think he has a head start on how NIL actually works. You know, he had a collective before he had a collective, <laughs> right? You know, and so you know, yeah, I yeah. think, I think you know, um, dude, listen, it, uh, Florida finished strong. Everybody the eve of signing day, like the day before, and then even kind of throughout signing day, Florida was being much maligned. Um, they were. Within the, SE, within the SEC, they're only the eighth-ranked team, but still the 16th team ranked overall. Now, they the made problem with Florida, though. Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Nope, no, I was going to say with Florida is, you know, they they still finished okay, but, man, they lost some guys. I know they were able to hold on. You're going to mention DJ Blackway, the quarterback yep. out of Willis, Texas, but who was a great pickup for him. I think he's really good, and he gives them some hope for the future. But, 
man, they lost some guys, including, I mean, Texas picked up Xavier Fields to me, five-star safety. That was right? huge for that was huge for y'all. Come on, are you kidding me? It was, man. It was now where's time. where's he out of? He's from McKinney. He's a DFW. So yeah. what was your sense that he was coming to begin with? I mean, give give an OU fan the perspective. Was was no, is that, okay. was that a Here's crazy flip? So or? About this. It, it was. We didn't even offer him until the day of the Red River shootout because he had been committed to Florida. And up until that point had showed very little, if any, interest in Texas. Well, Blake Gideon, the safeties coach, you know, offered him literally the day of the Red River shootout. He was word had gotten out that he was gonna go and watch it. And Blake Gideon called him up and offered him a scholarship that day, that morning. And they just kind of been working on him ever since then. So we, did he we go, offered did he him go, in October. Did he go as an official visit? No, I don't think so. Oh, so he just well, I mean, obviously he lives in McKinney. It's a great game. He probably just yeah. wanted to go. But yeah, you're saying so not even as a visit though, right? Not even as a visit. I don't, he think, just... so. I don't think so. I think he was just going. Yeah. So okay. they offer think about it. This is October. Here we are in December, and we get him to flip from, from Florida, where he had been committed. And his parents, I think, are split up. His dad lives in McKinney. His mom lives in Florida. So oh, he was wow. either going to play, yeah, uh-huh. So I don't know. I guess he got mom on board somehow. So yeah, it's a huge one for us. He's got a position of need too. So how much um I mean, I think that that also speaks to getting to the college football playoff. Let's just face it. Like I don't know that that's a pickup you get if you're, and I'm going to pick on Oklahoma here when I say this, if you're playing in the Alamo Bowl. You know maybe, what I mean? Maybe so, maybe so. Yeah, and here's the thing, right? I think with Texas, you know, when you get a new coach, you're selling dreams initially, right? And coaches and players will still listen, right? You got signed the top three or top five recruiting class last year after going six and seven. Sark top, signed the top five class after going five and seven his first year. So, you know, players are willing to listen to your dreams, but eventually, you know, you have to start showing something on the field. I think Texas is showing that. First of all, they're showing more than just the success on the field. They're showing the development, right? Because people will say, oh, well, Texas, you guys always get your recruiting classes and you you waste them. Those days are over, John. Those days are done. This staff, we've shown last year, we sent five players to the NFL draft. And I think we might have close to 10 players get drafted this year. You know, so I think when, once you get that and the college football playoff, that's when you really start getting these top recruiting classes and you start attracting kids from all over the country. Well, and you add and add then add, SEC. I was about to say, add SEC, put, sprinkle that SEC dust on top of you yeah, too. And then you've got a, a, a monster. You know, um, something that I didn't think about, and I guess I probably should have. I was listening to the radio this afternoon on the way, um, on the way home, and – they were talking about Florida State's impending. I guess they're having a meeting on whether they're going to go to try to get an early buyout of the ACC, either go to the SEC or the Big Ten. Although I think it makes sense if they went to the SEC, but we can talk about that if you want. But the idea behind why it's not just about competitive balance, but it's straight cash, which I knew that I knew this, but what that cash represents in terms of the product on the field, like the the off the um, recruiting staff that can be created, the off-field support staff for the teams, the strength and conditioning staffs, like all of these other auxiliary things that OU and Texas 
while we had plenty of money, both schools had plenty of money, we still didn't have SEC money. And it's not like, oh, you want to give us, you want to give Oklahoma and Texas SEC money? We'll, we'll show you, we'll show you yeah, what Blue Block can do. With watch this. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I got to give credit to Nick Saban for really starting all this, for adding multiple coaches to his staff, having all these analysts, analysts that used to be head coaches, just to have eyes on his program. Hey, you can be doing this a little bit better. Hey, have you ever thought about this? I mean, there's one point I think he had four or five former head coaches on his staff in those meetings, helping them with those little minute details. So, yeah, shout out to Nick Saban for for doing this. And they were the first ones to have, you know, all these extended staff. So it's spreading. And like you said, going to the SEC now, it's going to give us more resources to be able to do those kind of things. Um, If we take a look at – um, so anyway, that's how we sit. Let me let me sum this up. That's how we stand in the SEC. So uh, Texas clearly third in the SEC. Oklahoma fourth or fifth. Most places have us fourth. Two four seven has us fifth. That's fine. Well positioned, especially building on the 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 classes of the last two years. If you take a look at the country, the only other schools that sprinkling in the country, Ohio State and Oregon were both high. Miami was high in both rankings. Florida State and Notre Dame. So schools that you're missing, uh, I don't see Michigan in any of those top ten program in, in either in any ranking. I don't see Clemson. I don't see USC. I think USC was um, roundly like around the seventeenth. Um, who am I missing, Kevin? That, that's a normal person that would we would expect to be in the top ten. Those three, yeah. right? Yeah, those three for sure. And also, who you didn't mention, Texas A&M. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. No, think about this, man. They've had some really good recruiting class. Now, we're not going to talk about what ends up happening with those classes, but from a national signing day standpoint, you're used to seeing Texas A&M up there in that top 10. They are 17th, according to 247. Ninth in the SEC, 17th. Um in two four seven yeah that's a good point i i don't know i'm clemson though is the one that i just i continue to see you continue to see like the downward slide going on there um at clemson because for years you could count on them being in the top three or four um yeah Mm -hmm. and you could always count on them with a with a really good quarterback recruit you know all those sorts of things i i I just you're just not seeing it right now and then Mm -hmm. for michigan not to be there uh, surprising and then of course usc look we can kick his dog while he's down and i'm gonna go ahead and take that opportunity i think in most places he was in the high teens between 17 18 19 on most recruiting rankings um but if you look at him dude he just didn't win any recruiting battles that you expected him to go win it you know what and this has been the shocking the most shocking thing about lincoln riley's tenure at usc I had that season that they had this year if you looked at it, you could kind of see it coming in some ways. First of all, the Pac-12 was really good, and they were so bad defensively. All it took was a couple so of bad. questionable or not incredible performances from Caleb Williams, and you have losses. But the recruiting has been shocking to me. I don't understand how you can be at the University of Southern California and have recruiting classes that are in the lower teens or in the 20s. That just can't happen. It's, it's shocking to me. Seriously, it just, I can't make sense of it. 
Okay, so like this is a good example. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, and I'm gonna ask you about this because you, you you'll be a good guy to ask about this. So we talk about A and M. Okay, so clearly with A and M over the course of time, not necessarily this class, but over the last five years under Jimbo Fisher and even some other classes before that, but especially under Fisher, as far as identifying talent. Now, whether whether that talent panned out or whether that was like actual good talent or not, it didn't matter. As far as the stars next to their names, they were able to go get that talent. SC is making the double mistake of A, not getting the good talent and B, not developing. Like at least A&M was getting the good talent and maybe they weren't developing. SC is like, we're not, not only are we not getting good talent and then in addition, we're not developing. What is keeping them from just simply getting the stars at least to stay in California? I don't, I don't understand. know. Yeah, I can't make sense of it, man. Everything is set up there. And we know those players that are from Southern California, the overwhelming majority of them historically like to go to USC. Right? Now, I know recruiting yep. has, with, with the internet and everything, with social media, recruiting has become more national and players are willing to play outside of their home state. We see that with Texas. You got guys going to Ohio State when, you know, back 20 years ago, you no, might get going. one player a year yeah. who might go to the Big Ten, Ohio State, or Michigan. But now, you know, there's just several kids who are willing to go farther. But still, it just I can't make sense of it with his recruiting. I don't know if his staff is not strong enough. You know, so and if, if you look, you have quarterbacks and receivers just lined up to play. In well, that th- okay, so that's what I was going to say when I was interrupt. I apologize. For, that's what I was going to say when I was going to interrupt you is in in the state of California. I, okay, I would understand if he had a high recruiting class and we were picking on him for not having interior defensive linemen, interior offensive linemen, because out of the state of California, they simply don't exist in the top 300. It is a very limited pool. Okay. But within California, you still have quarterbacks, wide receivers, running backs, safeties, corners, like California is still loaded with, with skill talent for whatever reason. I don't even want to pretend to completely understand the demographic, but it's not like he's putting together a good class and just not getting, you know, the big bodies. He's just simply not putting together a good. It's just fascinating. And then what do you what do you make of? I mean, what do you make of Malachi Nelson decommitting or uh, transferring and losing on uh, is it the safety or the linebacker? I mean, there's just a handful of guys. It's not look Oklahoma. Yeah, we lost Caden Green. I, I get it, and and everybody thinks that's a weird story. But man, your number one quarterback recruit, and he's the quarterback guru coach with three high, two Heisman winner or no, three Heisman winners and a Heisman runner up, and he's losing that dude. I, it, yeah, that's it's crazy, really man. man. Yeah, it's really interesting. And you would think he was lined up to be the starter, but I don't know from what I've heard, he's really been struggling this year. Probably because he doesn't have an offensive line to protect him against the scout team. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, maybe so, maybe so. So, man, you know, I don't know. I don't know what he's going to do. What you know, they're gonna have to. I don't know, it's a big year. It's a big year for for them, for him at USC. If the Chargers they brought offer, in a new DC, if the Chargers but, offer, if the Chargers offer Lincoln Riley the job, is he out? Probably. Yeah, probably. I don't think they will but, though, right? Their defense is the problem with the Chargers, isn't it? Yeah, I don't. I don't know if they will either. Um, and I, you know, I wouldn't be upset with him for leaving for an NFL job. But it sounds like it, it's very convenient for him to to get out, to go to the NFL, right? So I'm curious what 
the NFL still thinks about him. When yeah. I think, you know, when he was at OU, he could have had almost any NFL job if he would have wanted it. But um, I don't know, man. This USC thing just has not worked out for him so far. And I'm very surprised by it. And I think everybody is. Oh, you will, will fans will say, I told you so. But I don't think any of you thought he would fall flat on his face. Because there's a difference between not meeting their expectations when they hired him, which is competing for a national championship. But no one thought, okay, they're going to go seven and five or whatever they went this year. I mean, that that's, I just don't see how that happens. Um, I could go into it, but I've gone into it before, and I don't really feel like giving him that much credit on our on our show right now. I'll, I'll come back to it in the offseason. All right, uh, before we move on, and we'll talk about some, I'm going to talk about some of the highlight players on each of our, uh, each of our signees. We got to thank our title sponsor, Brown O'Haver. Brown O'Haver is a public insurance adjusting firm. They work for the insured, not the insurance company. So if you um, have had a loss to your home or your business from a fire, wind, theft, tornado, flood, water leak, whatever the case may be, you want to give Brown O'Haver a call, 405-735-5510. We routinely get clients 30 to 40% more than they would get on their own. You can hire us at the very beginning of a claim. You can hire us in the middle. You can hire us when you think you've been paid everything you deserve to be paid. You can call us and we'll review it for free and only charge you what we increase it by. Brown O'Haver gets clients 30 to 40% more than they get on their own. If you want to come out somewhat ahead on your insurance claim, because it is very hard to, you want to, you want to give Brown O'Haver a call. Kevin works for Brown O'Haver. I work for Brown O'Haver. And if you're saying to yourself, is this the best Brown O'Haver can offer? The answer is no. Kevin and I are basically the Missouri and Kentucky of Brown O'Haver, right? The OU and the Texas and the Georgia and the Alabama is Alice and Jessica and Kiara and Jeffrey and Lauren. That's the big hitters, all right? Kevin and I are just filling in. So do not judge the performance of Brown O'Haver by the Boomer Bevo podcast performance of talent identification because it might leave you less than satisfied. But no, deep inside, Brown O'Haver is absolutely the SEC we just happen to be the bottom dwellers, but the heavy hitters are the ones that will handle your claim. So give us a call and we will get you to them. 405-735-5510. You don't think I'm too hard on you about that. You you probably like, you're, you're not the Vanderbilt, but you're, I mean, they, come on. You're they, like Missouri, right? Uh, I mean, the people, the people know. The people know what it is. All right. I don't want to disparage your work. You've been doing some good work. No, the people, the people know what I'm about. Okay, well. Probably more than you do. Let's just say I can say with full confidence I'm definitely the Vanderbilt of Brown O'Haver. I think that's fair to say, right? I think you can agree with that. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not even Vanderbilt. Are you saying I'm not even Vanderbilt? No, no, no. I'll give you a little bit more credit than Vanderbilt. Well, I don't know if I even want to be Arkansas or Mississippi State. I think I'm happy with Vanderbilt. Okay. At least least Vanderbilt has a beautiful campus, and it's in a cool city like Nashville. Can you imagine being Mississippi State? No offense to Zach Selman, but can you imagine being Mississippi State being stuck in Starkville? Come on. I know, man. I'll take Vanderbilt. Oh, jeez. Um, all right. Key signees for the University of Oklahoma, David Stone, of course. It's the five-star defensive lineman. 19th overall player in the country. Taylor Tatum, a four-star running back. 45th overall player in the country out of Texas. A big win over USC for him. Some of these names... Kevin, what, what I found interesting is as I was writing these is, you know, David Stone came later in the in the cycle. 
Taylor Tatum was a little bit later in the cycle. I kind of forgot about some of these other guys, right? Zion Kearney out of Texas, a four-star wide receiver, 112th player overall. This guy's going to be a stud, I think. I, I think Emmett Jones just proves that he yeah, can absolutely really recruit. Yeah, um, Nigel Smith, four-star defensive lineman. Eugene Brooks, four-star offensive lineman. A lot hasn't been talked about him because our other offensive lineman is Eddie Pierre-Louis. Now, listen, Brent Venables talked about him in his press conference. People are fired up about Eddie Pierre-Louis. But I want to ask you, just for people, explain it to people that maybe don't follow recruiting as well. Why is everybody so fired up over a three-star offensive lineman, according to 247? I see three stars, and I think, well, this guy's going to be a career backup. But that's not the sense that I'm getting from the rest of the fan base and especially the coaches. Yeah, well, you know, it kind of shows you the difference in evaluating players, right? Because if you look at rivals, they have him as the number 28 player in the entire country and the number one ranked guard, offensive guard in the entire country. All the other three recruiting services have him as a three-star. So, you know, offensive line appears to be the most difficult position to evaluate when it comes to high school recruiting. So you're going to have a lot of varying opinions when it comes to some of these players. But, hey, if I'm you, if I'm a fan, I trust the evaluation of the coaches more than I do the recruiting services. I'm going to against them because we all rely on them for information. But I'm going to listen to the coaches first. And if, they, if they're excited about this guy, I think, oh, you fans should be too. Well, I mean, I've heard that he there's a chance that a guy like Eddie Pierre Lewis, although it's really on his parents and family for putting him Pierre before that. I mean, listen, let's just face it. It should be Louis. I'm sorry, bro. It should be Louis, but that's fine. We'll do it. You, I respect it. So. We respect so. it. I respect pronunciations. Eddie Pierre Lewis, 6'3", 335 pounds out of Florida. They're saying could have a chance of having meaningful playing time next year. In the SEC. So now, is that out of need? It looks like it could be, right? If we don't get another couple wins in the transfer portal, it could be. But also, I think it says a lot about, you know, what they think this kid can do. So um, I'm excited about that kid. I'll tell you, though, the the one I'm most excited about on the entire list is uh, uh, Devon Mitchell, the four-star tight end, 167th best player, or at least according to 247. He was a five-star previously in the 2025 class, committed to OU and reclassified as a senior. This kid, is he's coming out of California. Listen, dude, this has been an area – Stogner did not do what we hoped he would do. Um, it's been an area of weakness under Brent Venables. I think with Seth Luttrell and Joe John Finley as co-offensive coordinators, you're going to see a reemergence in the tight end, and I think this is who it's going to start with is Devon Mitchell. I'm really fired up about this kid. And I think he's going to add an element to the offense that we haven't seen in the last two years. Yeah. You know, he played at Allen high school in the Metroplex before moving to Los Alamos, California uh, for this past season. Why do you move? You know, I have no idea, no clue, but I know he's a kid that's been on the radar for a while now. I mean, he was making plays for Allen as a freshman, you know, he was already look like, looking like a grown man as a freshman in high school. So, yeah, it's a really good pickup for you guys. So, anyway, those are the ones, um, you know, those are the big dog names. But, again, a lot of one five-star, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen four-stars in whatever you call Eddie Pierre-Lewis. Like, so, again, a really good haul for Oklahoma. Uh, offensive line, defensive line, receivers. 
we did get Michael Hawkins as a quarterback, but the, the numbers aren't skewed by having a really big time quarterback in there, right? These numbers are just real need depth at almost really across the board, maybe light on linebackers. If I yeah, looking for a like critique, uh-huh. um, but you know, Kip Lewis and, and um, you know, we're talking Picciotti, but all those dudes are true freshmen. They're going in their second year. Um, but yeah. two edge guys, I, I don't know, yeah. man. I'm just feeling and really this, good about it. This wasn't the strongest year for linebacker. Texas signed one, and they just got his commitment yesterday on signing day. So I don't think it just was a strong linebacker class. I know you guys really wanted this linebacker, Sammy Brown, five-star linebacker um, out of Georgia, who ended up signing with Clemson yesterday. But, um, yeah, it wasn't the strongest one. You know, I think you would trust – BB's evaluations of that linebacker position, but don't sell Michael Hawkins short, man. You know, obviously he's a legacy for you guys. And look, this kid, he's, he's a really talented guy. 6'2", 195, great athlete, can throw the ball well too. He's not going to be in a position to play right away, which is probably a good thing, but um, look for him down the line. If he sticks around, you never know with the portal, but um Look for him down the line. He's a really underrated player, I think. Uh, tell us who Texas – give us some big names for Texas. Give us some. Give us the heavy hitters and then give us a couple of guys that you're going to keep an eye on. Okay, well, we talked about Xavier, Xavier Phils, I mean, the safety out of McKinney High School who flipped from Florida. Really excited about him. But for me, man, it's Colin Simmons, five-star edge rusher out of Duncanville in the Dallas area. Just won his second straight state championship. Um, this past Saturday, this guy is just an absolute blur off the edge. He's around six two and a half, six three, right around two hundred and twenty pounds. But this kid can get around any offensive tackle in the country with a speed rush, and that's been the one thing that's been holding Texas back a little bit defensively. Obviously, they're incredibly stout against the run, and they've been able to get pressure. But this guy is just a natural rusher who can get there and finish at the quarterback. So we're really excited about him. In the in the PJ Atabari mode, or yeah, Anthony Hill I mean, Jr. Bit, yeah, yeah. I mean, size wise, it's about Anthony Hill Jr. Size. Anthony Hill Jr. is more of a true linebacker who just has the ability to pressure mm-hmm. the quarterback on a blitz. But this guy is a true edge guy. He's going to be standing up on the so edge. So more, more like an Atabari. More like an Atabari. Yeah. Okay. Correct. Yeah, this guy, I mean, like I said, um, MVP of the state championship game. He had three sacks um, on Saturday in the state championship game. And they all seem to come in in key moments, third down, fourth down type deals. So we're really, really excited about him. I believe, I'm pretty sure he's going to be an early enrollee, so he'll be able to go through um, spring ball and everything and just get a good jump on next season. Um, Also, you talk about offensive linemen. Uh, Brandon Baker, he's a five-star tackle, and he's from Modern Day High School, you know, Southern California. We all know about them, all the players that they produce, Bryce Young, so many other good players over the years. So um, top offensive lineman, one of the best tackles in the country and the top offensive lineman in the state of California. Um, So got him. Sark has a really good relationship with that program. His son actually went to Modern Day and with him being a California guy himself, so he's got a good connection there. We're able to get him. And then Ryan Wingo, five-star receiver out of St. Louis. That was the one um, that was causing y'all just a little bit. I mean, it was a pretty drama-free day, but correct. Wingo gave y'all a little bit of tension, right? 
Yeah, he did, man. And he's out of the St. Louis area. You know, it came down to really Texas and Missouri. Tennessee was in the mix a little bit, too, but really it was Texas and Missouri. And, you know, look, Missouri's a program on the rise, right? And I know mm-hmm. it's, and they are. I'm not, no, I'm, look, their ceiling is not, I'm not saying their ceiling is Alabama or Georgia. But yes, they are. They, like, they're doing, over but, the yes. Years, they got an upward trajectory going. So they have a little bit of buzz, especially with the local kids, right? Yeah. It's not like they're getting five stars out of Texas. We're going to California, Florida, getting five stars. The guys are signing, the good players are signing, just happen to be from their home state. Williams yeah. Oneri is from Missouri. Caden Green going back, which, again, is a weird situation, but he is from Missouri. And same thing with, with Wingo, St. Louis kid. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that we were able to get him and hold on to his signature because he's a guy who I think could have a big impact as a true freshman. Well, um, yeah, you're going to – I mean, you need, help, you need help in the receiver room, right? We I mean, do. Yeah, we're losing you know, all of our guys. Yeah. Right. Well, Xavier Worthy hasn't declared or anything, but he's not coming back. Sure. A.D. Mitchell, he isn't coming. I'd be stunned if A.D. Mitchell comes back. We know Whittington's gone. He's out of eligibility. So, yeah, we need guys. And he's a guy who can come in and play right away. But I really like this class. We've got some good linemen. We've got some really good receivers, some good DBs, too. So they were able to address some positions uh, um, that they need instant help at and some guys who I think can really develop into good players down the line. So um, one other name that is only a three-star guy, but a kid, Alex January actually played next to Colin Simmons on that defensive line for Duncanville. It's a big defensive tackle, 6'5", 320 pounds. Also a really good athlete, right? Played baseball up until his junior year. And then once he started focusing on football, you really saw him take off. His dad played at Texas back in the in the nineties, late nineties, and I think he's going to be a really good player. I'm not saying he's going to be Tavondre Sweat or anything, but I think he's going to be a really good player down the line. Yeah, but you didn't think Tavondre Sweat was going to be Tavondre Sweat this year? No, not at all. We talked about the development piece with Texas that we didn't see under uh, Charlie Strong or Tom Herman. We're really seeing that now, and, and Tavondre Sweat is the perfect example of that. A guy who come in came in was a solid, decent player for his first few years. But, I mean, working with Bo Davis, and now he's just become an unstoppable force in the middle. Same with Byron Murphy. Yeah. Next to him. So, yeah, I mean, I'm really excited about what the staff has done. It's did y'all really sign a great a, time. Did y'all, a, did y'all sign a quarterback? You know, we did sign a quarterback, Trey Owens. He's a big, tall quarterback out of the Houston area, Cypress. And um, he's, you know, what, it was six, five, six, six really tall quarterbacks is interesting because in the recruiting process, when we offered him, everyone's thinking, Oh, you know, he's just a guy who's just kind of an in-between quarterback. You know, we get Arch, we sign another guy. Then maybe next year we'll go after some big time five-star. He was a three-star when he committed, but he just really tore it up in Houston this year. Um, Led his team to the playoffs, a win over Katie in the playoffs, a really good Katie team. So now, I mean, he finished off ranked as a four-star quarterback. So Sark was kind of mentioning that in his press conference yesterday, saying how, you know, I, I think now after this season, people are starting to see what we saw two years ago. Is he a is he a big six-six kid or no, he's, he a, he's a, a lean? Yeah, he's a lean. He's a lean. Uh, yeah, he's around six six five, right around two hundred pounds right now. Okay, real lean. Yeah, uh huh. Yeah. He can move around a little bit. I mean, look, he's not Vince Young or anything, but he can move around. 
He can make all the throws. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. You know, the staff can develop him to where even if he doesn't start, he can be a better player than he was when he got here, similar to what we saw with Malik Murphy. Yeah, so your quarterback room is Quinn, Arch, and that guy. Is that is he your third string? Yeah, we've got another guy. He, yeah, he'll probably be the third string. We got a guy, Charles Wright, who's you know, who was a fourth string before um, Malik left. So it'd probably be them two competing for the third spot. Uh any word on when where Malik's gonna end up? No. No word on why um or where he's gonna go yet. I've heard a few things. I've heard Duke maybe and a couple other schools, but now nothing concrete yet. Um, I feel really bad for him. I remember you asking on Twitter, you know, the timing of this. And the reason being is because the, you know, the transfer portal closes up here. It just sucks. So, yeah. Can the he, timing is horrible. Can he stay with the team though? Or okay. no, he can stay with the team, but if he stays with the team, I don't think he'll be able to make his visits. Like he can. So, I mean, like, I feel bad for this kid, right? Like, he can't go to – can he go to the national championship game? I don't think he's – I mean, or the the semifinals – I don't want to put the card in for him. Can he go to the semifinal game and and dress or no? He he could have. Stark offered him the opportunity. But, again, with the timing of it, I think he was nervous that the schools that he is interested in are going to fill up, maybe get another quarterback before he got a chance. So, the timing of this sucks – I like the transfer portal, right? I think it's fine. I know you do, dude. You're a pro player, man. You're more pro it, player than you're. Yeah. Now I, look, I, it's out of control a bit. What I don't like is the combination of the transfer portal and NIL, and with it being so new, I think we'll look back at these days as a wild, wild west. I think eventually we can make some sense out of this and make it work, so we don't have Caden Green situations to where. You know, kids aren't leaving to go to the highest bidder if that's what happened with Caden Green. It you, seems like that's a possibility that's that 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 is what happened. But I think so, we'll eventually get this thing under control. So you you're a pro player. Would you be in favor of a one time free transfer, but a penalty or a sit out period on future transfers? Like yeah, I, think I so. Like, I look at Casey Thompson, and I, I'm not trying to punish Casey Thompson, but just using his as an example. Like, four teams, man. Come on. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. What's well, three, right? Is he going somewhere else? Yeah, he's in the portal. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, he's in the portal. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, he's in oh, the portal. Wow. So, okay. You know, so I guess it was at Florida Atlantic last year. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, yeah. I mean, so, Texas he might- to Nebraska to FAU. Wow. That's, yeah. And he might be a bad example. Like, he might be a bad example. I'm not picking on him, but. Sure. Because I did, I like take Casey Thompson. I don't think you have a problem with him. I don't have a problem with Casey Thompson. Yeah, he's not. I'm not picking on him or saying he's. he. But it's just, it seems like, okay, what are we doing? You know, like. Yeah. Um, the, 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 and I don't know what that means, but there's. Again, you know, the argument always was coaches can transfer with zero penalties. So why can't players? Right. Correct. That was always the argument. So I don't want to like penalize the players, but it's just yeah. this transfer portal just seems. And my issue, I don't know. Here's the thing with the transfer portal, too. Right. What was it? A thousand over a thousand players that entered the portal. The first day it opened. Yeah. And just, there's not enough space for all those players. A lot of those players are going to end up out there. Oh, without players, signing with anybody. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. No one's just going to. It's not going to be the market for them that they expected. 
and they're just going to be stuck out there. I mean, because you look at uh, so, like, if you look at OU's guys, forget the Caden Green situation. That's a that's just that's a weird one in and of itself. Yeah, it's kind of an outlier, right? Just... But like, take like players that have been. So there's two in, in, that I'm thinking of: Reggie Grimes and Key Lawrence. I don't have any issue with them transferring. It, it doesn't matter. Like, I, it's not going to affect OU's trajectory one way or the other. No. But I also don't think it was going to affect their trajectory. I think they're kind of who they are. And yeah. so even if they transfer, I just don't see – I mean, even if they land, I don't know that they're going to go to a place that's going to marketably make them a better player. They were getting plenty of playing time at OU. I don't know that that was going to go down next year. I think especially in Keith Lawrence's situation, you can always use DBs. We've seen that across the board. DBs have a tendency to get hurt, and you rotate a lot of those guys in there. I just don't know what the advantage for them was to transfer. And in Key Lawrence's case, it's now going to be his third team. Yeah, but maybe with Key Lawrence, maybe, the, you know, the staff has told him, you know, I think some of these guys get nudged out. Not kicked out, but, you know, hey, maybe better for you to try another opportunity. Is Key Lawrence maybe getting recruited over? Are you ready to move on? Like, I feel like well, and with that's- Gabriel, right, like, I think you guys are ready to move on. Like, you just chose – Jackson Arnold over Dylan Gabriel. Well, and that's kind of how I feel about Keith Lawrence and Reggie Grimes. They're like the same person to me in the sense that if they stayed, it's like, okay, I I got no problem with them staying, but them entering the portal. Okay. Like, yeah, I I think maybe Keith Lawrence goes to a smaller school, right? So instead of going to OU, he goes to a school like just, I'm just throwing this out there, like an SMU. Yeah, where he they can build their whole secondary around him and his experience, where he would not have that kind of impact for you guys, right? Yeah. So maybe he's looking for a place to showcase himself more on a different stage. Yeah. No, I think yeah because I and think Reggie Grimes was buried. I mean, he was buried in the depth chart. He was not yeah. going to be an impact player at any point for OU. So he'll probably transfer down to a smaller school where he may be able to make more of an impact. Well, somebody had said maybe Oklahoma state and I just, now that they're not, now that we don't play them, I don't care. Like there's zero. Yeah. I I have zero concerns. And, you know, I just don't want to like the Caden green, like to somebody transferring, like if Malik Murphy, if I'm Texas fan, I'm like all team Murphy, right? Like good luck with you. You go to Duke, go to North Carolina, go, go out to UCLA, right? All those sound Mm -hmm. great until he shows up at freaking, um, I don't know, Arkansas. And then you're like, what? Like that, yeah. That's oh, what it's Arkansas. Ooh, yeah. Oh, but you could see it happening, right? I don't know if that if I don't know sure. if Arkansas is that kid out of eligibility because he's I feel like he's been there forever. That uh, quarterback he's in the portal. He's um, in the portal. Oh, is it? Well, see, that's what I'm he's, talking yeah. about, dude. AJ Jefferson, it's, yeah. Again, it's not you, I don't know, but that's the yeah, kind yeah. of stuff yeah, you don't want to play against your old guys. No. Yeah, you don't want to play against them. No, no. I think everybody's everybody's happy with DG because he went to Oregon. But even if he would have went to Mississippi State and played for um, Levy, I think people have been mm, just a little more. Mm, I don't feel good about that. Yeah. Y'all don't play them this year, though, do you? You play Mississippi State? I don't know. I don't. You know what? At Mississippi State. We play them. They come to Austin. I'm just not. I mean, it's really hard to get fired. I mean, Mississippi State is just not a team to get fired up about. It's just almost Never. impossible. I, no. I can't even imagine a scenario where I'm fired up about it. They, they better start recruiting Prescott. a whole, huh? I said, shout out to Dak Prescott, though. 
Uh, yeah, shout out to Dick Prescott. We've got about five minutes left, Kevin. Shout out to Dick Prescott. But what is their problem on the road? Why are the Cowboys so inept on the? I mean, dude, not only did they lose to a uh, um, to a good Buffalo team in a really tough environment, right? Like Buffalo is talented. Josh Allen is good. The Buffalo's Buffalo is a distinct home field advantage. But dude, we're talking about if you look at the season as a whole, they went and lost to freaking Arizona. Like where yeah, that, there's that, probably that. more cowboy fans in Arizona than there are Arizona fans. So I what what is the what, explain to me why your cowboys notice that they're your cowboys when they're not doing good and there are cowboys when they are doing good. Why are your cowboys not very good on the road? Like they're I terrible really on the road. I have no explanation for it whatsoever. You would think that offense could work on the road, but it just hasn't. It just doesn't click well at all. That Arizona one, though, that, that's the bad one, right? Because you can see, you understand losing to Buffalo on the road. You understand losing to San Francisco on the road and Philadelphia on the road, yeah. right? Buffalo is, I mean, they're better than their record indicates. And we all know Philadelphia and San Francisco are two of the best teams in the entire football league. Well, we'll, but, come, back to Philadelphia. we'll come back to Philadelphia. Yeah, go ahead. They're having some issues there on. But with Arizona, you, there's no explanation for that at all. And now, listen, they were down three offensive linemen, right? But you would still think they could beat Arizona, especially yeah, if it wasn't was, Arizona with Kyler. Yeah. Right? Did it have, you know, so you can't make sense of that. And the problem with it is it can end up costing them home field advantage in the playoffs. Yeah, well, because, you know, okay, or at least so, the ability to play one home game. Like they need to win the division to play the home game, right? They have to win the division. Get a home game, period. Yeah, that's to right. To get a home game, period. And if not, then they're they're going to be – if they're a wild card the team, they're on the road the whole time almost, aren't they? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah no home game. No home game at all. Yeah, so but they, they speak, need to win. But speaking of that division, is Jalen Hurts not who we thought he was? Is he regressing to kind of a, you know, a typical quarterback? Is he hurt? How do you explain his lackluster performance over the last, I don't know, seven or eight games? I think he's hurt. Because okay. there's no other way to explain it. You don't well, there is a way to explain it. He had a really, really good last year. He had a really good year last year. People weren't able to game plan for him. They didn't know what to expect. He performed at a really high level. He had a really good running back last year that maybe he doesn't have this year. Is is he not the quarterback that you think he could be? Did they pay him a little too early? And is he just not that guy? You you say no, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. I still believe in the kid, you know, and I really didn't at first when he first came out. I was surprised that he went in the second round. But I told you this, this is Lincoln Riley's greatest accomplishment to me is making yeah. this him. I don't think he was draftable when he left Alabama. And if he was, he would have been a late round guy. And for him to go at the beginning of the second round to Philadelphia, I mean, it, it's a big deal. He's been a great player. So I, I I think he's injured. We'll see what happens, but I'm happy with Philly to keep losing. So yeah, I hope yeah, they keep losing. I, that would Dallas. I mean, because right now them losing to Seattle put Dallas back ahead of them now um, in the division. They played twice already. They've already played twice. So who holds play. the who, who, who? What's the tiebreaker then if they're split? Just a- well, I. I'm not sure, but it shows right now. If you look at the NFL standings on NFL.com, it shows um, Dallas as leading the division. So I would imagine that if things stand stay the way they are, that Dallas would be um, Dallas would win the division. 
Other uh, Sooners of note, uh, Baker Mayfield continues to have a very solid year with Tampa Bay. They are in first place, but they are tied with the Saints. Um, your Falcons are as seemingly, or I should say, Bijan Robinson's Falcons are seemingly doing everything they can not to win games. Bijan Robinson is a great football player. We've talked about this. I was high on the Bijan train. I think he got drafted exactly where he needed to get drafted. What is keeping them from giving him the damn ball? Like, is that the craziest thing you've ever seen? I don't know what Arthur Smith is doing, man. And I think he's starting to wear out his welcome in Atlanta because of that. I don't think people can make sense of it. He's got this super talented tight end in Kyle Pitts. They don't throw him the ball either. He's just it's weird, dude. It's like yeah. it's so odd to me. Like it, it, I would get it if I almost get it if he's a receiver, right? Because then there's things you're seeing, or there's things that you're not seeing as a fan. Okay. So like like take Pitts, for example, is maybe, and I'm not giving him an out here, but maybe they're rolling coverage over to Pitts. Maybe they're doing some things to like kind of take him out of the game plan. Listen, this is the NFL. You don't get to do that against a running back, right? Give no. him the ball. Like, give him the ball. Yeah. What are we doing? Yeah. And if you don't want to give him the ball in the running game, give it to him in the passing game. He's proven he can catch the ball out of the backfield. Like, I don't understand it. It's so We've stupid. seen him do back shoulder catches against Alabama 25 yards down the field. Dude, we've already seen it in the NFL, Kevin. We've already seen it in the NFL. It's, it's- yeah, I don't know what this guy's doing. You cannot lose that game. When you're trying to win the division, you cannot go on the road and lose – to the Carolina Panthers, who are one in twelve going into the game, and especially when 12. you look at the when you look at the utilization of your best players, like it's one Correct. thing if he had got it thirty times and you lost, but I don't know what the number was. You can look it up, but I think he yeah, got it like twelve. Yeah, yeah seven something in the five kit. Yeah, it's stupid. It's stupid. So anyway, that's your NFL talk. We're not well. Kevin's an NFL expert. I'm just a guy that likes to gripe about it because I like it because it's the it's the live football we've got going on right now. Speaking of live football, Oklahoma will play a week from today in the Alamo Bowl. We will put together uh, a preview show on that, talking all about, as my girls like to say, Jackson freaking Arnold and um, everything that will be on display there. Oklahoma, as of this taping, is still a a three-and-a-half-point dog. Uh, makes me nervous. I, I the worst, the only thing worse than going to the Alamo Bowl, I think, is losing the Alamo Bowl. So, um, well, yeah, we, we lost it last year to this same Washington team. We'll be playing in the college football playoff. The thing about it is, I just hate Arizona's Bowl, going to I care about this thing. Arizona, they're going to be excited to be in the Alamo Bowl. Well, to your point though, Oklahoma needs to be excited because they were in the freaking Cheese It Bowl last year. The problem is we've just had a lot of – the offensive line to me – we're going to do it on the preview, but just real quick. The offensive line is the biggest concern, obviously, right? But we have yeah. everybody else and not having DG, but we all think JFA is the guy. So, you know, it's – um, your concern coming into this game? It's the protection of that quarterback. It's the protection. Because defensively, we've got news that Billy Bowman and Sutzman are, are back and are our guys, right? So, uh, although, I mean, if we want to get real in-depth, our defensive performance over the last three weeks wasn't great at Oklahoma. Like the numbers weren't where we need them to be. We let a BYU team compete with us. It had no business competing with us. Um, even though we rolled up 69 on TCU, we allowed TCU to score 45. So there's a lot of things that are kind of going into that line, I think. Um, but we'll discuss all of that in our preview episode, which might be coming, Kevin. It might be coming from uh, Arizona. I might actually be here in Arizona talking about Oklahoma playing Arizona. How's that? Okay, maybe you can maybe you can ask around 
and get the thoughts of some Arizona fans what they think of the matchup. Here's the problem with Arizona fans and Arizona State fans. They don't care. They just don't care. Those fans are too care, right? You know why they don't? I don't know. I don't think any of them care. You know why they don't care? Because it'll be at Christmas time, dude. It'll be 75 and sunny. I will be golfing. They'll be golfing. They'll be hiking. They'll be playing tennis, pickleball, just enjoying the weather. Like, they don't care about football. Here in Oklahoma, it's miserable. Yeah. This becomes your life. It's a USC fan, right? It's like, okay, well, if the team is great, we'll be there. But if the team is not there, you see that Pacific Ocean right over there? We'll be there. We're going to go surf. Yeah, we're going to go surfing. Absolutely. We'll be right there. 100%. Or we're going to go watch the Lakers play, Mm -hmm. or we're going to go, you know, or we'll – Although the Chargers are terrible, but um, so it's a chance to go check out NFL football. Yeah, well, and nobody uh, cares about the Chargers. And nobody. I think almost every game they play, they have fewer fans there. Yeah, they. You know what? I know that it probably made sense for them to leave San Diego, but it gave San Diego an identity, and they had a fan base there that was unique. Um, yes. And you know how I've both known. of us. And you know how both of us feel about San Diego. Man. We love that city, yeah. dude. Like, I love San Diego. Love it. Um, so, anyway. All right, dude. Hey, this was a great show. Uh, guys, if you're out there, like, subscribe, share, do all the things you're supposed to do. Uh, have a Merry Christmas. We'll bring you a preview episode probably on the 26th or the 27th. But have a Merry Christmas. Be safe. Kevin Boomer. Okay.